Thanks, church. An honor and privilege to be here to speak to y'all, give y'all God's word. Uh, during worship, I don't know if anyone has thoughts in their mind and you start to discern like, is that me? Is that God? Is that the enemy? Was it the food I ate last night? So as we were worshiping, uh, the word healing came up. I don't know out there if anyone um, is in desperate need of physical healing, emotional healing, or spiritual healing. But what I want to do is to pray for you this morning. So could we all bow our heads um, and go to God directly? God, I, I know that you've given me the gift of teaching and to herald your word this morning, but I cannot get past, I think, what you want to do this morning, Holy Spirit. You know exactly the hearts right now that need your healing touch. We heard weeks ago through the scriptures, through Mark, that you are healing and you're still healing today. You've healed and you're still healing today. So, God, would you touch someone who's emotionally distressed, who's gotten a diagnosis from culture saying that it's discouraging? God, I'm asking that you would heal them from the inside out, that they would find you as the good father who cares uniquely for them. And God, for physical healing and touch here this morning, I'm asking you would show yourself to be true and amazing, whether someone is a Christian or not in this room, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself and how you work in that mighty way. We know on these Sundays, it is very routine to hear your word preached, and now we ask that you would show up in power and that you would touch someone and heal someone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, friends. Hey, uh, we planted a church, me and my co-lead pastor, Glenn, from Omaha, but it's not even close to the hardest thing I've ever done. I played Husker football. That, I mean, that all pales in comparison to shepherding, leading, and guiding five kids right now who are the ages of seven, six, five, four, three. Yeah, yeah. That's why I brought it up. It's a little different. So pray for me as the Spirit prompts you throughout the week. I know this is supposed to be about God and everything, but I'm like, hey, if I can recruit some prayer warriors in here in, in Council Bluffs, I think God would be honored in it because you're going directly to him for it. Uh, but I just want to say thank you. It's an honor to be here. Can we give it up for Doug as the pastor here of Council Bluff? And Eric as well. We know that Eric. Yep. We can give it up for Eric. And, his, and both of their brides. Uh, speaking from a peer, there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes other than Sundays. And God uses and has appointed these men to lead and care for all of y'all. <laughs> both services. So just want to honor Doug. In the City Light family, he's known as the theologian. I don't think that probably catches you off guard. He loves the word of God. And what impresses me about him is he's a word and spirit guy. Like he loves the third person of the Trinity as much as Jesus and God the Father. And so I think that's shaping this congregation. And by God's grace, you're more biblical because of it and because of God using him and Eric. Amen. Amen. So with that being said, we hold highly the word of God. We're in Mark chapter eight, what we read through earlier. And the, the writer Mark ends up bringing six different historical events, because what the Bible says is true, six different historical events in which brings about one lesson. After each and every situation, there's one lesson, and we pick this one between Jesus, a crowd, and the, the disciple Peter to bring about this one lesson, and it is this. 
we need to stop seeing things from a human point of view. Stop seeing things from a human point of view, but rather from God's. We're going to see in the text in which we've already read that Peter ends up getting rebuked because he's seeing things from a human standpoint of view. And this is a personal opinion here, but I don't think it's just not um, personal, regional, but I think as a local church, and I think as the global church, not just here in the States, but across America. If we do not see things from God's point of view, we will be rebuked by the one we worship. We will be reprimanded by the one that we worship. So as we work through the text, there's a lot on the line, but there's so much hope. Amen? Two points of view. Let's get into the text and actually see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Okay, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is Jesus speaking. And then check this out. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples of his impending death. It's going to come by suffering. Then it's going to come by the cross. And then catch this, also the resurrection. And Peter ends up being so alarmed by this, so caught off guard, that he ends up rebuking Jesus. Just to put this in perspective, okay, Peter was just like us. Flesh and blood created from Jesus. The created is rebuking his creator, Jesus, face to face. And you may think, okay, how does this guy get there? In context, literally before this passage... Peter responds to Jesus when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah. So Peter knows that this is God incarnate in front of him. And yet still, he has the audacity and the gall to actually rebuke Jesus face to face. But he doesn't just get there. You may be asking, how does Peter get to this point of tripping? He knows in three days in the text that Jesus is going to rise again, and it is this. As we read forward, he's seeing things from a human point of view. Everything that's going to happen to Jesus in which he revealed, he's interpreting it through the one lens of a human point of view. Look with me in the text, verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, this is Jesus, he rebuked Peter. By the way, have you ever been embarrassed? This is just, this is Roy's translation here. I just imagine when I was reading the text, I was like, oh my goodness, I've done this before. Right now, he's being rebuked by Peter. And then Jesus checks out what everyone who's listening, and everyone's like, I'm assuming, like, whoa, what's Jesus going to say? So he takes into account his audience, and then he ends up addressing Peter in a direct way. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The New Living Translation does a good job of actually articulating for us to understand now what he was trying to convey. And this is what Jesus was trying to convey. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This text is rich in so many spiritual truths. And the first one is this. There are two views. God's view and humans' view. God's view and humans' view. Jesus points out that Peter is looking at this whole situation from a human standpoint. So, each of us, we can look at every single situation in all practicality through either the way that God sees it or the way that we see it. 
It's a biblical perspective. So when you see things, your situation with family family members, with conflict, the way that culture is going, if you see them through God's view, it's similar to seeing them clearly. You put on these type of glasses. You can see things without obstruction. You can see things clearly. There's not much shade to it. You can see things, as God would say, as they are. That's God's point of view. And the other point of view that we can go in and out of on any situation is then a human point of view. And though that point of view lacks biblical wisdom. There are shades that are darkened. We can't see clearly, especially in a room that's inside. Things are obstructed. You just can't see as clearly. And in this context, there are two things that we can learn from man's point of view. Forgive me for just getting rid of these as they'll just get in my way. There are two things as we look at a human point of view. We see Jesus, or Peter right now, cannot get over what's about to happen to Jesus. And here is the first thing. Living by a human point of view always exaggerates the thing that's happening right in front of you, the immediate future. You live in the short view instead of living in the long view. Peter knew that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. In the text, we just read it, y'all. He knew he was going to raise from the dead in three, three days after his crucifixion. And yet still, he can't live in the long view. The three days after his suffering and crucifixion, he was stuck there. I think, I think as a parent of five, us parents can relate. I think it's the best arena to see what living in the short view versus the long view looks like. If, all parents, if you're honest, whether you have young kids or older kids, it's easy when your kid misbehaves or you disagree with them that you are caught up in your identity right on the spot. And if it happens so often, I'll admit it. I'll be the dude who admits it. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but boy, do I struggle. Boy, do I need your prayers in parenting. Boy, do I see original sin within my kids. And I, I end up getting caught up in it, and my identity goes up and down. Am I ruining my kids? My goodness, they don't listen. What's wrong with my kids? Are all kids this naughty? Do all kids obey both of, disobey both of their parents? And I get so caught up with what they're doing right then and there that I lose sight of the long view. And here's the long view. Me and Danny, my bride, we've put in place to point our kids toward Jesus. We have family meals set up to point towards Jesus. Our kids hear Jesus' name in our household as much as they end up hearing their own by God's grace. We use prayer as a means to directly go to God and say, God, we've made so many mistakes. Would you fill the gap and would you do the work for us? We're doing all the right things and it's so easy to get discouraged because what's right in front of us is a day that everything goes wrong. And I know it's not just with parents. It's with anything. Any relationship or conflict that you have that you're discouraged in, be discerning. And am I seeing things from the short point of view, which is the human point of view, or am I seeing them in the long point of view, from God's view? And it's not just that. I'll be honest. I, for those of you who spend time with the Father, let's just say and you're growing in that. There'll be times where you're reading the text and you, you, you think to yourself, okay, I just read something that feels like a promise to me. Although contextually, you know you wouldn't get up here and teach it. You know that other people would be like, you're crazy. That was for them then. That was for Israel. You read the Old Covenant Scriptures or you read the New Covenant Scriptures and in your quiet time, you end up hearing a subjective promise that people would argue, how do you know if that's true? And yet God's given you faith and eyes to see it. 
and you're discouraged because the immediate context and what's happening in your surrounding does not lend itself to be believable. Are we seeing things through God's perspective or from humans' perspective? I was here. I was here. Listen, Doug gave me 30 minutes, but the Spirit's moving. Hey, this thing might go 60 minutes right now. I was here two years ago, y'all. And I'm a church planter right now saying, by God's grace, we're emotionally healthy as a church plant a year and a half in. And God is getting his worship, and we're getting out of the way the best that we know how. So in other words, things, by God's grace, are going well. But... It took a whole lot of seeing through God's perspective. Two years ago, Doug raises up a prophetic team. They come up here. It's a City Life family deal. It's Tuesday. Me and my bride, Daniel, are the only ones outside of a Bible study who have said yes to planting a church. We're sitting there, and this woman says, City Life Bennington, we raise our hand. She said, God hears you. It's going to take time, but it will happen. God hears you. It's going to take time, and it will happen. It was a sub that had to be received by faith, given by faith. And then for me and Danny, she had no clue. Boom. God spoke to us. We knew exactly what she was saying. And it was that a church in a spiritually dry desert in northwest Omaha with very religious backgrounds would fear God more than man. So much so that we would be expressive in our praise on Sundays. So much so that we would be open to the gifts of the Spirit operating freely with biblical parameters and wisdom. She was giving it in faith. We received it in faith. And yet, by the way, in the context, there was no external evidence in the immediate view that that was going to happen. Friends, let's just keep it straight up. When we say seeing things through God's point of view, it's not just the Word of God. The scriptures say, walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. Here's the second part of the human point of view that Peter ends up living by, and it's this. Suffering. He believed that suffering, there's no way that suffering can accomplish a greater good. I presume that Peter ends up rebuking Jesus in part because he didn't see the necessity that Jesus would have to suffer in order for his resurrection to be so beautiful. My bride and I got into, I mean, I'm confessing a whole lot this morning, huh? My bride, hey, don't go to Facebook with this. So my bride, <laughs> my bride and I got into an argument last Saturday, and I was preaching the next day, and I'm like, wow, I think this is kind of like how pastors end up checking it in and just retiring because of this type of warfare spiritually and things of that sort that go on right before Sunday. So I'm catching heat for my bride and it's all legitimate. It's been 10 years and she still does not feel thought of. And so in her discouragement, she lets me know and I say, I rationalize everything like any good man would do. <laughs> and I get us to a place where our emotions are down and I say, let's take in some perspective. And then I turn away and I, I turn away spiritually. I say, I'm sorry. Because I was sorry. Like, I, I hate that she feels like she's not thought of in our marriage after 10 years. So then time ends up going by. It's literally Sunday night. So a little over 24 hours later, we're laying in bed. And the next day, she says, hey, I, wanna, I have to be somewhere by 9.30 on Monday morning. And I end up saying, hey, hold on. Your hero's here. I got you. I'll be back by 9 a.m. I, mean, I got you, boo. 9 a.m. I'll be back. Well, let's fast forward then to Monday morning. I roll into the house at 9.18. I, to yeah, I totally forgot that I told her 9 a.m. 
I love your guys. I love how that's like the biggest, oh, out of everything. <laughs> 9 a.m., I came in, and I felt this small. I, I felt this small. I felt like, God, how much do I have to suffer because of my disobedience or because I'm married to a bride who actually has standard? Your mind starts to think through, and you think, wow, how much suffering do I have to go through? This is terrible. I felt this small. But do you know what was beautiful out of it that the Holy Spirit brought out of it? He brought a godly sorrow that I was offending not just my bride by being unthoughtful, but my God as well. That I was more unthoughtful to her because I was way more unthoughtful and mindful of God's presence in my life. And I could see me neglecting him throughout the week. That was the suffering brought about a moment for me, a revelatory moment that brought me godly sorrow that the Apostle Paul says, leads to true repentance. Not just for salvation, but in principle, true repentance. So it's not just Peter who has some disbelief in that suffering can actually uh, produce something good, but it was me in that moment. Let's jump back into the text as we've dissected the human point of view in those two, those two ways and get back into the text. We're going to look at what Jesus does to Peter because he's operating out of a human point of view. And we've read it already. Verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Have you heard Satan speak in this text thus far? I can't find it. And the reality is, is that Jesus knew that behind Peter's words was the working of the enemy. In Peter's human point of view that he was operating in, in that instance, the enemy was behind it, although he had to say no words. Church, there are only two points of view, God's and human's. But, but, the enemy works in human points of views. I, this is an opinion. I think in all points of views, but it's to different measures and it's to different ends to a mean. In this context, the enemy did not want Jesus to go to the cross because of his resurrection, because the church would be born and the kingdom of God would come in fullness. But in principle, the enemy is involved in every point of view. That's a half-truth that excludes God, that neglects his existence, that deceives. He's involved in many and every point of view to varying degrees. On a personal level, a regional level, and on a global level, on a personal level, I've fallen in these past couple years to a human point of view of believing that surely unity, true unity in the church is going to be in the new heaven and in the new earth. Just like poverty. You know, you kind of just pump poverty a little bit and be like, ah, oh, that'll come in the new heaven and the new earth, which indeed it will. But the enemy's work in me believing that was for me to genuinely just leave grace, leave mercy, and just leave people for dead where they were. Not bring people along, not work towards unity, not uniformity, where everything's the same, but unity within the church. Until these past two years, God appointed me passages where I had to teach on unity like every other week. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I believe that we should be united in essentials, the salvific things that we find in the scriptures, that we should be free. We should give freedom 
in the secondary issues, but give charity in all things, in all things to unite the church. On a regional level, the enemy, especially in the Midwest, uses the human point of view that we can all be in God's good grace and in relationship with him by an earning relationship, to continue to earn our way in relationship to God, that what we do curries the favor of God, but yet God's point of view and in the scriptures is him saying, no, you're all pieces of dirt and clay, and he, by grace, is the only way that we could have a relationship with him by his finished work and not by our work. Amen? Amen. And then lastly, on a national level, the enemy loves to promote any movement or social ideology or fill in the blank that has to do with you being the arbitrator of truth. Uh, uh, In other words, that your truth is your truth and no one can argue with it. That truth is subjective. That truth is not objective. That you can say what truth is and what lies are. And it plays itself out on a national level and everything that we do. And do you know what Jesus said to Peter and says to those things? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) A rebuke from the enemy, not just on a personal level, not just on a small corporate level, but on a national level for when we see things through a human point of view. And I'm talking about, let's just be honest, very personal things that have to do with you, family members you disagree with, conflict you think you could never resolve. And it's easy to forgive people until they get really nasty towards you. It's that type of perspective where you need God to step in and say, I've forgiven you much. What makes you think that you could hold this that long, this bitterness that long? Could you imagine if Jesus ended up holding everything that everything that we ended up offending him with against us, I wouldn't be up here. I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but I definitely would not be up here. Church, we need sons and daughters of Christ, not just in this church, but especially in this church, to start putting on your lenses and seeing every situation through how God sees them. And I'm talking about some ghosty stuff. I'm talking about not just the Word of God, but whether you should go to Hy-Vee or another place to do your study. Something that's convenient or inconvenient on your way to go somewhere. Do you know by the time we get to heaven how many amazing, weird things that people ended up hearing from God to do that was inconvenient, that ended up getting God more glory? Oh God, would that be true of this church? That's a spirit-led life, y'all. That's exciting. That's the kingdom of God. And would we be humble in it all? So let's get back into the text. Jesus sees he's preaching well. He's preaching well. He's sweaty. He's saying, hey, y'all need to come over and hear this. You'll see it in the text. And interestingly enough, he chooses to bring this principle, to bring this truth to a point and teach in this context this thing, that people need to have a godly perspective on the most important decision that they will make. And that's whether to accept or reject Jesus. Verse 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. God's view of salvation is self-denial. It's a turning from running your, your life and a surrendering to him and asking him to come to the throne room and direct you as the CEO of your thought life, of your emotions, of your actions. And man's view is just adding Jesus to being a better person, to being a better version of yourself. And in this moment, he says to the whole crowd, he makes this point on his perspective, salvation comes by a turning, a repentance 
and belief. Two sides of the same coin, no earning involved. And that's not all. Verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If anything worth more than, is there anything worth more than your own soul? God's view is that you and I would experience a full, satisfying life. And it comes by truly being born again. It comes by true repentance, a turning, a conscious turning away from running your life and asking Jesus to forgive you and to become your master, your ruler, and he will give you true life. I think in personal opinion, a lot of the frustrations of some of y'all, some of y'all, I know it's at City Life Bennington, is that you're frustrated with God. But on a spiritual sense, I just wonder if God's looked at you and said, son, you've been operating from a man's point of view. You haven't truly been born again yet. There's been no conscious repentance. You've just been trying to add me to what you do and try to get blessing. I just wonder if that's true in this room this morning and in everything, in everything, for the mentality that you can just add Jesus and become a better version of yourself, the enemy is so behind that, so behind working towards God in his favor. His goal is to keep you from truly experiencing the born-again life, to keep you from a true worship of Yahweh, to keep you from knowing him truly and to keep you blinded with shades from a human point of view. You know what the Bible calls that? Spiritual blindness and pride. And this morning, he's reiterating to those of you who have not truly yet seen him with eyes of faith, he's so worthy of denying yourself, taking up your cross. Yes, it's going to hurt and following him repentance and belief is there anything worth more than your soul rhetorical no nothing not a promotion not money not power not sex not affirmation from other people nothing let this be the day where you truly repent and say god you have it all and with the holy spirit by his promise and in his word flood you and immerse you in ways you've never experienced and that the King of Kings will come and indwell inside of you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm asking for increased faith in this room, not just for the saints to see you as you are and to give every situation to you and see you with those lenses from your point of view, but I'm asking especially this morning that you would save someone. We don't believe in accidents. Your scriptures don't testify that there are accidents, but you, you oversee everything and you're in control. So God, I'm asking right now that you would soften someone's heart to truly turn away from you, from, from themselves and running their lives and turn towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.